Hello and welcome to another episode of the Magic Talk podcast. I am super, super excited to be sharing today's episode with you because today we have a very, very special episode. Today's guest is an absolute legend in magic, a huge magic hero of mine, and I know he is a big inspiration to many of you listening. And yes, that is Teller from the legendary Penn and Teller. I had the fortune to meet both Penn and Teller when they came to Shanghai in 2019. It was a really special time meeting both of them and having them visit the Blackstone Magic Bar. We took them around exploring the city, and we've stayed in touch ever since. And、uh, only very, very recently did I get in touch with Teller. And asked him whether or not he would agree to do this podcast episode, and he very generously said yes. So here we are. As most of you, if not all of you, already know, Teller never speaks when he performs, whether that is on TV or on stage. However, in this episode, he very generously shared a lot of stories about his personal journey. He shared some of the. Biggest lessons that he learned from Johnny Thompson. We talked about Fool Us and some of his favorite acts, and what he believes makes for great art, as well as lessons and advices that make magicians great. I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. I hope you do. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, if you enjoy what you're listening or hearing. Please share this with as many friends as you can, and if you want to get in touch with me, please direct message me at Mr. Anson Chen at M R A N S O N C H E N on Instagram. I would love to hear from you. So, let's keep this podcast introduction short, and let's go straight into the conversation. Hello, Taylor. Yes, here I am in Las Vegas. <laughs> Good to see you. What time of day is it there? It's eleven thirty, eleven a.m., eleven thirteen a.m. It's it's eight thirteen in the evening here in Vegas. So, how have things been、um, for you guys, show wise, after the pandemic? Do you think anything changed? Do you notice that? Well, well, I mean, every every everyone in Vegas,、uh, you know, was hit very hard by the pandemic, and it seems as though everything is gradually making its way back up. It's it's not an overnight thing.、Um, we're currently on a four day a week schedule, which is fine because I mean, as a person who has you know been doing full us and projects like the Tempest and the live show and all of that stuff for years and years and years. Having a couple of extra days a week off doesn't seem like a, all that much of a hardship to me at the moment. Yeah, of course.、Um, but、uh, things are coming back up, and、uh, I'm very happy with you know. There's because of Hulas and because of our own natures, we've we've written a ton of new material all the time. So there's a lot of new stuff in the show, and that's always sort of exciting because new stuff means that you're all you're working on it every night and you're developing it. And on on top of that, we've also we've decided, you know, we have 
we've we've done so much material in our lives. We've decided that this might be a nice time now and then to pick something very very old and bring it back and try that. So we're we're once again doing Elsie the Vanishing African Spotted Pygmy Elephant, which is a trip mm. we haven't done for five years. Uh, you know, there are those who accuse us of just making a cow look like an elephant. Uh, you know, but of course we deny that strenuously. That's not a cow up there. That's a genuine. <laughs> Um, and we're even, we even decided that we realized that th there are many occasions on which we are called upon to perform in circumstances no better than the, the circumstances that we had to perform in when we were street performers or, you know, working at Renaissance festivals. And very often these are very, you know, these are things like industrial shows where the stage is not made for performers to come out and do a full show. The stage is made to, oh, display giant video screens with, with uh, you know, with, with, with uh, boring guys doing long speeches with a lot of video in the background. And there's, I mean, there, there have been shows that we've, that we've done where we couldn't get a piece of equipment onto the stage at all. We had anything we had needed, we had to walk on with. So we're relearning some stuff that we that we had done a number of years ago. We learned we learned the egg bag from Johnny Thompson. Yeah, and we developed our own routine with it that is really really nice. But we had totally forgotten it. I mean, the last time we'd done it was five or six years ago. And the egg bag, as you probably know, is if it's good, is an extremely complex and subtle trick, and requires. That's right tremendously delicate handling and when two people are handling it so you know so that the egg bag is plucked from the spectator and tossed to the other guy and the other guy whips it around and smacks it and tosses it back to the first guy all of that stuff is something that borders on juggling so relearning that was a much more formidable task than we knew it was going to be but it's so gratifying it's so gratifying because it is it reminds you that not it while I'm not one of those people who says there's nothing new under the sun by any means, it mm -hmm. reminds you that there are certain things in magic that when you learn to do them really well, you have learned something deep about magic. And the egg bag is certainly one of them. You know, the, the, all, the, the, the egg bag has so many, the Malini egg bag has taken through Charlie Miller and then subsequently through, through Johnny Thompson. Um, right establishes so many things in the audience's mind. Um, you know, the, the examination of the seams of the bag, for example, at the beginning, which is so critical to, to convincing the audience that you just have a simple bag. I mean, there's nothing to the trick. The, the egg goes in a pocket in the bag. Couldn't be more obvious. So right. the rest of the whole time is spent making it seem absolutely impossible, ruling that possibility out 100%. And that uh, seems to be something people miss, isn't it? When mm -hmm. it comes to performing the egg bag. It's, I mean, unless you have studied the, Char the Charlie Miller, Max Molini, Johnny Thompson version of the, of the egg bag, you really don't understand that the, the basic principle of, of uh, how a magic trick is done to me is that you do it by the most simple, direct way that you possibly can. And then you rule out that possibility completely in the audience's mind. And that's interesting. You know, that's that's what you do. So if you're going to do a trick that, that raises something by means of a piece of thread, well, use the piece of thread. 
but then spend the rest of the time making sure the audience knows that a piece of thread couldn't possibly be the explanation. And that's, that's the way you can get to a really great and robust trick. And the egg bag is precisely that. The egg bag is you slip the egg into a pocket in the bag, but by the time you do that, the audience is absolutely convinced that that couldn't be possible. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, because because the jokes and all the beats could have they they change, but the principle doesn't change. The principle is addressing the fact that the pocket and the bag is the way it appears to be, right? You know, you you leave the audience with the impression that an audience member has come up and examined two pieces of cloth sewn together on three sides and an egg. And every sentence, every, every word that I just said is wrong, is not true. It isn't two pieces of cloth. It's more than two pieces of cloth. And they're not just sewn together on three sides. And it's not really just an egg. But every bit of that, you teach the audience to take for granted. That's another, another way that I often like to describe the definition of misdirection. Mis misdirection is the story that you get the audience to tell itself. And this wow. is, it's, a, it's, an, it's, a, it's very important that you don't say to the audience, there's no pocket in this bag, right? What you say is this bag is two pieces of cloth sewn together on three sides. That's something that the audience member on stage will confirm. And it does absolutely seem to be true but you've made the audience come to the conclusion that there's no pocket in the bag. The right. audience came to that conclusion themselves. And that's why, you know, typically you often, you often um, see uh, magicians talk about how you convince an audience that it's a, the, there's an ordinary deck, you know, and you, you do that, you hand the deck to them and you say, shuffle the deck. You don't say, look for the marks on the back of the cards. You say, shuffle the deck. Right, and once right. they shuffle the deck, they have convinced themselves that it's an ordinary deck. Misdirection is, 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 is getting the audience to tell themselves the story that you want them to tell themselves. But and that way of deception is so much more robust that, that if they tell themselves that story, it's almost impossible for them to undo it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is, I think, the, the essential thing. The story you get the audience to tell itself. Really, really essential. You, you, you know, it's, there is something connected. There's something similar to the idea of a, of a joke in this. And let, I'll tell you what I mean by that. Mm -hmm. you know, in a joke, you have a setup and you have a punchline. But between the two is a mutual understanding that the audience gets the audience. You, you say an audience gets the joke. That means that the audience is understanding the thing between this, the setup and the punchline that you're not saying. And there is a similar thing that goes on in magic where the, the audience for the magic to happen, it has to happen between that setup and that punchline punchline. It's the thing that the audience does. Right. Right. So true. I, yeah. Do you, do you think stand up comedy works well with magic back-to-back -back in your experience? I've seen very good, very successful combinations of those, yes. 
Right, I mean, right, right. I, I, it, it, but that's all, everything about this is the quality of the, the writing and the performance. Yeah, I want to ask you about that in terms of writing performance and putting an act together. You've seen, I don't know how many acts you've seen uh, when you guys are doing Fool Us, right? So what would you say are the essential elements or what do all great magic acts have in common? Oh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't venture any kind of answer on that. There have been so many different things. That's sort of, you're, that, isn't that sort of like saying, what, what do all great music performances have in common? They're all making noise. Uh, and the noise True. is organized in a way that's, that's pleasing. Um, they're all or, or, noise that's organized in a way that's pleasing and expressive. Um, and in the, in, the, in the best of music, it's very recognizable. It's very personal. It's very amazing. I mean, that's one of the things about, about great music is I always think that great music is truly amazing. I mean, I, when you're listening to a great singer, you're not just going, that person's just singing. You're, you're somehow pulled out of it. You're somehow elevated. You're sort of suddenly, you know, that person sings like people can't sing. That per person sings better than people can sing. And uh, I, I feel, I, I really feel that the, 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 the core the core of what makes art art, one of the one of this one of the pieces of the core of what makes art art is amazingness. That it, a thing must be amazing, mm. um, you know. And, and there are other things that are really important. You know, there are there are there are uh, there's there's the personal connection between the artist and what the artist is producing. That's a, that is really an awfully important thing as well. Um, mm. And that's true in music as well. And it's true in magic as well. So for example, you know, one of, one of my favorite, one of my favorite performers that we've had on Fool Us is our Australian friend, Helen Coglin. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, uh, her, her, she's, she's part of a magic family and her father was Australia's most uh, famous escape artist. And he's still alive. And when we visited Australia recently, we visited them at their house. But you can just feel when Helen Coughlin comes out that she's connected to these magic tricks in a way that is absolutely consistent with her character. I think she sees magic as kind of a, you know, sort of almost like a tough wrestling match between the between the viewer and her. And so her whole attitude is a kind of it's she's got this kind of very good natured swagger of I think I can fool you. And that's one whole style of magic that works just beautifully. Mm. Um, now, on the other hand, now, I'm not sure I can. You may have to. You may have to help me out by either knowing or looking up the 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 name of the guy who did. Have you seen recent episodes of Fool Us? Uh, not. I'm not the most recent ones, but I've seen a lot. Uh, there, there was. A, there was a. There's a. There's a Spanish guy. Oh, I, I just forget his name, who, who did the salt trick. Uh, uh, was it Mario Lopez? That's it. Right. I mean, I did see that. Okay. Now there's the salt trick, which is, uh, which is, you know, standard, you know, a, a century old trick. And because he decided to play that as a sort of shambling, a shambling guy who didn't know what to expect 
much the way Cardini, you know, didn't expect the things that came to his hands, that, that became an absolute masterpiece. It an was absolute, insane. And an, an effortless, beautiful piece of perfect masterpiece. And and obviously came straight from his heart. You know, just a beautiful idea uh, that he, he he just took what was in effect and turned it into a piece of a, a story. Um, of course, you know, we have great passion affection for, for our friend Hondro. Uh, you know, and Hondro's been on Pulis a number of times. And we you know what Hondro brings that's almost the diametric opposite of, of uh, Mario Lopez is where Mario Lopez brings this sort of dreamy, <laughs> casual uh, indifference almost in his attitude. Uh, you know, Hondro comes out and he is like the very ball of energy, explosion and love that just comes out at you all the time in a frenzy. That's right. That's and, right. Uh, so that matters. You know, it, it's really, there, there's, no, there's no pattern to it, except that the person who does it, does it all the way, does it, you know, does it with huge conviction and does it with huge technical skill. I mean, it's, yeah. it's important to do it to perfection. Yeah, and one, one, one thing you mentioned there that's really interesting is that uh, it seems to me that these acts, they have this element of self-expression in it that makes them unique and special, that amazing, as, as, as you say. Do you think that is something that we can develop? Is that something that we can learn in terms of like how to express ourselves through the craft or the art of magic? I believe, yes. I, I don't believe that anybody, when they first get into an art form, knows anything about self-expression. I mean, I think when you get into the, when you get into the art form first, you just imitate other people. You know, you, you imitate other people all the time. As a kid, that's what you do. You know, you read the magic books or you imitate the people that you've seen. Imitation is part of learning uh, who you are and what you want to do. Um, but that means that you have to stick with it long enough that you can move that you can gradually move out of that and find out what it is that your sensibility can contribute to it. Because um, I, I mean, I, I did all of the standard crazy, stupid stuff that that you know that a, that a white kid in Philadelphia would do. You know, <laughs> I, I went to the local costume store and I bought Chinese robes, right? And I, I put on what I fancied to be the, the appropriate makeup and told what I thought was Chinese stories, which was just bullshit, you know, because that's what children do. They, they play what they don't understand. And uh, eventually uh, that sort of went away for me. Uh, uh, and I became, well, I guess one thing that happened was I started to get so irritated with pattern that I, I just right. experimented with stripping away pattern. And stripping away patter was a kind of a doorway for me because when, when I stripped away patter, suddenly I had to kind of think about things in a, uh, a different style. I mean, it, it, it was the, I, I made the choice to strip away the patter before I realized the implications it had for style. Uh, because once you strip away patter, you can't explain things, right? It means that you have to make things apparent by showing them. And and you, you have to make things apparent by you know by acting them and feeling them um, in a way that the 
uh, that you don't when you know if I if I say well I'll I'll take this I'll take this this golf ball here and I'll throw it into the air. Once you've got those words, those words come between you and the way you're showing you're telling that story. Hundred so percent. For me, that you know one of the things I've I've often wondered is whether there's anything else that I can suggest to young magicians who ask me, well, you know, how, how can I find myself? You know, and this happens all the time. What I always say is you get on stage forever and sooner or later, either you will find that you're not suitable for the occupation or you will find who you are and who you are in relation to the audience. Um, mm. but I, don't whether, I don't know whether there might be something else that, you know, I, that I could suggest as an experiment, like, you know, what would you have, what, suppose you did the entire act um, uh, unable to move except for your arms, right? You can't, you've got, your, your legs are strapped together and you can't move. Where would that lead you? You know, would taking something away, the way taking speech away, be helpful to somebody who was, who was working on, uh, you know, an act? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, 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 those are great things to think about. So. One thing you touched upon earlier um, is the performing of new material. So I guess my question there is how much of what you guys do um, in terms of new stuff is tested? And then the second part is, do you think creativity can be forced in just like coming up with new stuff? Oh, those, are, those are two good questions. Um, when, <clears throat> when something goes on fool us, uh, we we try to do it live as much as we have time to do. Uh, the we are not in control of when Voulos is shot, so sometimes it's a bit of a horse race to get there. Some of the things are tested in front of an audience. Some are just not suitable for testing in front of an audience, and we rehearse them, and we rehearse them usually with good eyes on them. Actually, this year we had Hondro out to Vegas to watch us work and work with us on several things and he's quite a good director. Uh, so some of the, for, for the fool us purposes, some of it is audience tested and some of it is just, is just as well rehearsed as we can manage it. Um, and then your second question was, what was it once again? Well, creativity, right? I mean, it, oh, it yeah. seems like the amount of work that you guys produce is just unimaginable. Do you think it's something that, you know, like, can be just forced, or do you think? Well, it forced it comes is a, naturally. Forced is an awkward word. I mean, uh, it can be um, cultivated. Uh, you know, it can be cultivated. Uh, in, in a normal week, Penn and I will have at least one afternoon session that's that's important brainstorming that we'll take detailed notes on and give to our crew. And then later in the week, we will work at least one afternoon with physical stuff in the theater. So we, we, you know, we will cultivate that uh, right now because it's looking not improbable that we may have another season of Fool Us coming up. I am certainly scouring textbooks and all of my friends to say, do you have the seeds of any very good, strong tricks that we might be able to um, develop into something that's you know that's in our style because it is it is possible to adapt things and when you talk about I I, I always make the analogy between music and between magic and music mm -hmm. you look at somebody like Johann Sebastian Bach 
Johann Sebastian Bach, he had a job. He worked at a church. And pretty much every week, he had to come up with a half hour's worth of new music. Now, that's a lot of music. To, that's a lot of music to write, a lot of music to rehearse. You know, he, 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 he did, did tons and hundreds of cantatas. So he did all sorts of things. And his cantatas are of uneven quality. Um, some of them are fabulous. Some of them are less fabulous. Some of them he, he adapted other people's melodies for and did something interesting with. Um, so it's there's just a whole variety of, of answers to that question. It, forcing creativity, I, I'm not sure that's the, it would be exactly the right word, but uh, working at creativity, I mean, you, you have to work at creativity. Uh, ideas do not just pop into your head and come out. It is, it is absolutely work to get them out. There's, you know, it's like the, even the easiest meal requires that you heat up the stove, put the oven on and put the olive oil in and then break the eggs in the pan. And that's work. And it does not pop out. And anyone who thinks that creativity is lying around and waiting for ideas to, to strike you uh, is just a, uh, well, a, a, a silly amateur. Right, right. And, and, and I guess what I mean by that is just that I'm sure there are occasions where you guys, you know, like someone would say to you, all right, Teller, you guys have two weeks and then there'll be this show or like this, this performance where it will require brand new material. And well, um, I'll tell you some of the, some of my favorite things that we ever did uh, came out of that. I mean, we were, we were told we were told that we had the opportunity to be on Saturday Night Live with Madonna back in the 1980s, uh, and we needed a big bit to do on stage. And in about two or three weeks, we came up with our version of the water tank, and we built the prop, put the whole thing together. It was it it was done for the first time on TV, and if you ever see that that clip on TV, you'll see the. I'm having a lot of trouble making it work, but uh, that is still one of my favorite bits that we ever came up with. And it was all, it, it was all, uh, you know, magic on demand, you know? What, right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, the having a canvas placed before you and being told that you want to be able, that you need to be able to sell that painting in a couple of weeks is is inspiring right 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 and and there are of course times where you work on things for two three five years and that thing never gets made to the show yeah you know the, 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 the opposite of that the most prominent one of those is we, we we wrote a really nice bit uh intended to be done as part of a television special outdoors uh for um it's called off off the deep end it's a, a show that we shot in the bahamas and it was it was all water related stuff and uh, we uh, we we loved the idea of having a fire hose shoot a stream of water and then have me walk on the fire hose like you'd walk on a tight tightrope oh wow and and we developed a way to do that um to do that outdoors in vegas we got to the Bahamas and we were beset by inclement weather constantly. We ran, we ran out of time, we ran out of budget, never got to shoot it down there. And then we came back to Vegas and said, we should do that in the theater. 
And so we learned everything about the fire hoses and so the, the kind of stream that you get off a fire hose. We even engaged the company that, that created the Bellagio fountains to try to find a way to get that volume of water apparently on stage and still uh, not completely drench the wooden stage and the entire audience in water. And we built a sort of a tank that could roll onto the stage. And uh, after, <laughs> It, it was about it was about two years and sixty thousand dollars. We just said, you know, there's to make this good, you have to see the water glancing off my heel, right? As I'm as I'm balancing on it, it has to look like I'm surfing on the water. You have yeah. to see that, and if you're going to see that, people are going to get soaked, and the wooden stage is going to get soaked. It's just not going to work. And it was, a, it was a tough decision, but by that time we'd been around long enough that we said, okay, we just have to cut our losses and, and move on. So everything worked. The whole thing is not a problem. The technical aspect of it works. It's just that it will just splash water all over people. Yes, the trick worked. It's wow. The, it's the fact that we couldn't control the water. So it was a great idea for outdoors, but we haven't had a use since for that trick outdoors. And it, it may be that that was perhaps something a little more athletic than I'm up for right now. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple of years back would have been fine. Yeah. That um, was like 15 years ago. Well, okay. Okay. You guys have been in Vegas for how long? Oh, 20 some years. And that, that was at Rio all the whole time, right? No, no. We started at Bally's. Then we did the, the MGM for a while. Uh, for a while, we were uh, we were someplace we were we were someplace else for a while. I mean, we were, but but primarily Bally's, MGM, and then this very long run at Rio. I mean, it's it's really legendary in a sense that you guys are basically in competition in terms of the, the the show business with people like Celine Dion or Mariah Carey or, you know, Cirque du Soleil. Um, people, you know, on, on a night out, they have to make a decision to, to buy a ticket to what kind of show they want to see. Yep. And what's like, what's going on there? You guys have been the, the longest running Vegas show. And the, the, how... longest running, the longest running headliners in the history right. of Las Vegas. Yeah. Right. So what, what's, what's the secret there, if there is one? The secret is we, have, we, 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 work, we work all the time. Uh, we have, our, our, our manager is also a brilliant, brilliant press guy. So uh, our manager, you know, if, you, if you look, I can send you a link that somebody sent me today that shows the number of TV shows that we've been on all the time you know, over over the last you know 40 years and it's there's stuff on there i don't even recognize us in but you know he is constantly aware of keeping us in the national um national and international spotlight enough that when people come to vegas they go oh you know what we better see penn and teller too you know that's 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 part of what that's part of what you might come to Vegas to see because we've been so identified with, with, with Vegas. But, um, and it's just, we, anytime there's a press opportunity here or from Australia or from England, where we're going to tour next year, um, mm -hmm. we, if, if somebody's over here doing something about Vegas, we're on it. 
Um, it, right, right now, you know, I think the fact is most people don't go to live shows that they haven't seen some version of on television that they, they haven't become acquainted with on television. So television is, is essentially, you know, it's, it's what the old billboard posters were back in Alexander Herman's day. Yeah. And do you guys engage much in social media? We have some social media going and, um, and I, and, and it's, it's not, it's not the part that I pay much attention to, but yeah, it's yes. And we're trying to get better at it. Right, 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 right. What do you, what do you feel about that? I mean, be, I mean, magic has changed and the, and the medium of how magic is spread has also changed. Do you feel like social media makes things a lot less mysterious? Do you think no, I, part I think of being a magician? I think it's a little more democratic. I think, you know, it, it, it used to be that you had to kind of be a boy in a city to learn about magic. And now you can be pretty much anywhere in the world and you can be a, a boy, a girl, or something in between or something completely outside that. And you have ways to learn about magic. I think that's quite wonderful. And, you know, and you can see that on Fool Us because on Fool Us, we've had, we've had, we had, we've had, um, I, I imagine we've had more women on the show than any magic show in history. I'm pretty sure, yeah. Yeah, but we actually had somebody who went through a, um, a, a, a gender change, appeared twice, and the second time was different from the first time, which I thought was just... Fabulous. Oh, wow. You know, it's just, it's really, it's nice. It's, it's nice to know that while there is there certainly is a, a some aspects to to social media and and that form of communication that have done some damage there's tremendous amount of good that is done yeah absolutely yeah what what do you think is the most um, misunderstood thing about fullness not much now. At first, at first, magicians were afraid to come on because they thought that we would treat them poorly. But after after one one or two seasons, when they saw that we were being really truly appreciative of their work, I mean, first of all, nobody gets on Fool Us who's not very good, right? The the the, the producers we don't know who's coming on ever, but the producers right. go around and the producers find excellent people. I mean, excellent excellent people. And then those people work with the producers, including Mike Close um, yeah. you know, from the magic and comedy end and you know, during, during his lifetime, Johnny Thompson. So they yeah. have basically the best possible coaching to look the best possible. And the producers, you know, we get a certain amount of rehearsal on stage. The acts get a ton of rehearsal on stage. So the acts always look fabulous. So everybody who comes on knows that you have won the game of Fool Us just by getting on the show. If you're on the show, you've won. If, if, we fool, if you fool us, you don't fool us, doesn't matter. You, you have, by getting on the show, uh, we already know that you've got quality, you're offering really high quality magic. So there's nothing that we're going to say except, holy shit, that was a great, that was a great piece of magic. It might not have fooled us in this particular way, but you know, the, and 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 it's treated in such a gentlemanly way. You know, it's it's treated with such politeness. Yeah. 
like, you know, like we're friends hanging out and our little game is you, you know, you, 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 you're an excellent performer. Try to fool us. You did it. You know, it's the, the whole attitude is very uh, warm and positive. And that is exactly how we truly feel. I mean, this is not making nice for TV. That is how we feel. Yeah. And for that reason, I, I've always liked it so much more when performers just bring their act as opposed to come up with, you know, another complex or convoluted card trick just to, just to, you know, with the attempt to fool just for fooling's sake. I think yeah, those acts are. But that's nice too. If this is a, magic is a very wide net. There's some magic tricks that are just that in which the, the greater part of the entertainment is that it is impossible to figure out. And there are some magic tricks in which the greater part of the entertainment is the emotion or the comedy or the surprise. It, those are all, those are equally important. Those are equally important elements of magic. I mean, one of the reasons why magic like music is so popular is it can mean so much to so many different people. It's a yeah. very, really very fundamental kind of form. So true. Um, you touch on Johnny Thompson. Yeah, a little earlier. I know this this could be a very uh, long answer, but what would you say were the most important lessons that you have learned from Johnny Thompson? Hmm. Well, first of all, I learned an enormous amount of specific magic from him. I mean, specific. He was he was a a, a, a vastly knowledgeable guy, both in things like card tricks and sleight of hand, in stand-up magic, in stage illusions. And I learned specifically a lot of things from him um, in, in that way. For example, our light heavy box was based on, um, pre precisely on Ali Bongo's light heavy box. And when we tried to come up with a, with a, with a, uh, a premise for it, Johnny said, well, you know, Ali Bongo, just called it the light heavy box. Why don't you guys consider that? We thought, oh, yeah, why don't we? Because Ali Bongo was, had, was, was dead and had long abandoned that particular presentation. Um, what did I learn from Johnny about that stuff? Wow, that's, um, hmm. Oh, I mean, I, I learned how to light a thread from Johnny. That's, that's a big, that was a big How deal. to what? light a thread on stage you know how do you light a thread on stage i'll tell you sometime it's it's okay it's it's, it's something that's it's something that's highly technical and very worth knowing but not worth everybody knowing because it's, <laughs> okay because it's a it's a it's a very very useful principle which just reminds me of something oh that's interesting oh my hmm. Um, what else did I learn from Johnny? Um, I learned to um, uh, hug and kiss your friends all the yeah. time. Uh, you know, Johnny would just embrace you and, and you know and kiss you and hug you, uh, and that was um, that. That's a very helpful thing to know because it means that you're not taking that for granted about the people that you're working with. You're, you're letting them know all the time that you do love them. Yeah. There's so much love in the way he 
buzz. Yep. Um, that's what I think of. I mean, I have, I have here his, his the Great Thompsonian Company certificate of, of uh, nomination for the Magician of the Year. Yeah. I have, I have his his cover story in Genie Magazine in a, in a case. I have a, a a bronze life mask that was made of him that I that I look at and ask questions when I need to. Yeah, and and you guys were working on the Tumsoni Act, weren't you? Well, uh, yes. Not only were working on it, but uh, you know, Penn and I got this notion that we should instead of you know how magicians will frequently say. Um, don't just learn the trick the way it's written, you know, make it your own. That's, you know, they'll say, read it in the book, but don't just do it. Don't do the pattern that's there. And in our backwards way, we said, why not? Why not try to do a full cover tune? Why not try to absolutely learn somebody's act, uh, but in a way that wouldn't harm that person? You know, and so we looked through history and we said, well, gee, could we do the celibate sawing? Could we do the Decolta chair the way Decolta did it? Could we do, could we do um, one, of the, um, one of the magic plays that Vascoline and Devant uh, did? And then I was working with Johnny on a little zombie movie that he was shooting with me. And I suddenly said, wait a minute, Johnny just retired this act. And, and Pam, Johnny and Pam just retired this act. And they know how this act works in every detail. Could we learn this act directly from them? So, you know, which is essentially like saying, I'd like to go to Robert Houdin's salon and learn how he did the magic portfolio from him and maybe use his props. Uh, and that was very, very, I mean, uh, certainly the hardest thing I ever tried to do. Because Johnny was a naturally funny guy. He, his looks were funny. His attitude was funny. He's a very, you know, both he and Pam were well-trained actors from the actor's studio. So they, they did depth acting and they could, they, they, could really, they could really act comedy to the degree that would allow it to be that level of hilariously funny and big at the same time. I'm not that good an actor. I mean, I really am not and could never be. But trying for it was fascinating to me. And trying for all of those, those incredibly difficult juggling moves, like Johnny's production of a dove was oh my God. was essentially juggling the dove. You know, he did it, he did none of this kind of movement. You know, it was all just this effortless thing where he'd flip the dove into place and produce the dove. And you know, one of the jokes and one of the frustrating things, one of the frustrating things that I always um, uh, would make fun of Johnny for as Johnny would say, "Yeah, you just get in here and then um, and then you just and just just flip it into place." But he'd use the word "just." He'd say, "You just flip it into place, right? And just you can just flip it into place the way you can just play a Chopin waltz, right? You, you, after you've practiced <laughs> right. it for fifty years, you can just play a Chopin waltz, yeah." It's one of the most technical acts. I mean, just watching the act, it's just, it, seem, it seems unimaginable how difficult it is. Yes, it is. And every, every aspect of it, I mean, even, 
even Johnny's um, his um, ungimmicked um, this this yeah he, Johnny Johnny came up with with this this um, let me see if I can I'm not sure I can do it right off the top of my head uh, this is his ungimmicked serpent silk. Right, where you take you, you you tie the knot, you tie the knot in the silk, and then you go. Wow. There's no gimmick on that. The entire thing has to do with the bias of the cloth, how you tie it, how you balance the weight. It took forever to learn that. That was part of the act. It was a throwaway in the act. That wasn't even a damn dove production. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and he's got such unique timing and the the way he interacts with the moments and and so you you managed to learn all of that then well i learned i learned the not the extended 45 minute version that included a full performance of the egg bag but i learned the the core of the act and georgie the showgirl who has worked with our show for years and years learned pam's part uh from pam and I'll tell you one lovely, one lovely moment is uh, Pam's, Pam's watching Georgie doing it. Pam says, I know the problem. Your shoes are too comfortable. You got to go get some shoes that don't fit. Oh, so because that adds it, to the frustration. <laughs> well, to get, get, to get that Pam, that Pam walk that's like, you know, like this. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Like the like very tired showgirl. You have to have shoes that don't fit you well. And That's Georgie, so interesting. Georgie had been uh, one of the lead showgirls in in Jubilee, one of the great old you know production shows in Vegas. And Georgie was a grace, you know, could move gracefully, and she had to be taught how to move ungracefully by being put in the wrong shoes. Wow, That's absolutely fascinating. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's it, that's a little bit like Marlon Brando as the Godfather having ankle weights put around his ankles so that he'll move older. Right. I, I didn't know that happened either. Yeah. That's great. And do you guys still perform that night after night or? Is no, that it's not. That, that, that's, that's, that's out of the show for now. Penn wants to put it back in sometime. I'd be delighted to put it back in sometime. I mean, it's so fucking hard. It's just, yeah, it takes another level of rehearsal just to bring it back in. Doesn't that, it? it would probably be five or six months to get it back in because I'd have to relearn all the, all the Dove stuff. And uh, it's uh, maybe not, maybe, maybe. But, I, you know, my problem with it was I, was I was never funny in the right way to make that play. You know, I just, I'm, I, I'm really always me. And Johnny right. really could become Tom Sony. You know, right. John, and you're, you're, yeah, you're funny in your I'm, own way. I'm teller and I, I, I couldn't really do Tom Sony the, for that, for the basic comedic premise of that to work. It, it, it's got to be a, a very, very pompous guy being punctured, punctured. And I may very well be very pompous, but I'm not pompous in that funny way that Johnny was able to do. Uh, yeah, there's multiple know, layers there. Yeah, uh, you know, I'll tell you this wonderful story that I, I remember. About this is about their acting. They're, they were they were at some casino, and uh, a stagehand 
overheard Ham uh, in the wings going, that son of a bitch, I am just gonna kill him. I, I can't do, I can't go on with this night after night. He's, he's such a fucking bore. And then uh, later on, somebody heard Johnny say, that bitch, I don't know what to do with her. And they came up, they came up to Johnny and they said, what, what, is everything all right between you and Pam? He said, yeah, of course, she's just getting into character. That's incredible. Wow, that's great. Yeah, the magician being the actor playing the role of the magician. That's that's what um, that's the perfect embodiment right there. Yep. yep. Let's do a final question. What would be three advice that you would give to younger magicians? Um. I mean, there, there's really one major piece of advice. Uh, perform ideally for a live audience as often as you possibly can. That is an audience where you can really hear their feedback coming, coming back at you um, as often as you possibly can. The more hours that you're, that you're there on stage in front of an audience, the more you'll learn about, about um, who you are, who they are, what you might have to contribute to the art. Um, uh, take every, you know, and, and a corollary to that is take every gig. That is, don't, don't say, oh, I'm going to hold off because this gig is not a high paying one enough. Take the goddamn gig. You know, if, it, if, you, if you have to go into a room full of screaming children, you know, for $10, Go and do it. You will learn more from doing that than you will learn from sitting home and contemplating your own greatness. Those are great. Wow. Thank you so much. Thank my you so pleasure. much for doing this, Taylor. Very, very nice to see you. Very nice to talk to you. And my best to everybody there and to your family. Yeah, thank you very much. I hope to um, be over there to see you guys soon in I Vegas. Excellent. Thank, thank you, you for your time. Sure. All right. Good night. Thank you.